the one word that just jumped off the page of me when I was reading it a few weeks back was the word shame. The Bible tells us that Joseph was a just man, and so because he was a good man, a just man, that he was not willing to put his wife to shame, so he was going to separate from her privately and quietly. So what that means is that Joseph was engaged. We would use the word engaged uh, in this era of time. He was engaged to be married to Mary. But they had not been married yet. Uh, They had not been together intimately yet. That's what it means when it says he had not known her. That's That's specifically what that means. And he finds out that she is pregnant. And before the angel appears to Joseph in a dream, Joseph has made the decision that he's going to separate from Mary, but he's going to do it quietly so that he doesn't put her to shame. And that word, it just jumped off the page at me, and here's why. As soon as I read that word, here's what I knew. Mary wasn't ashamed at all. Joseph's concern for Mary were displaced. And Mary had no shame at all. And immediately my mind went to Luke chapter 1, which is where we're going to go next. And I thought about this song that came out of Mary's heart in this season of her life while she was pregnant with Jesus. This song of praise and gratitude towards God. And, And I thought to myself, she wasn't ashamed at all. I understand why Joseph, and from an earthly sense, thought she might be, but she wasn't ashamed at all. And literally, I went to my Bible and I wrote, that's exactly what I wrote, Mary was not ashamed because she was conscious of her own innocence and her right standing with God. Consider her song of Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Those who take care to keep a good conscience may cheerfully trust God with the keeping of their good name and have reason to hope that God will, in time, make their righteousness shine as the noonday sun. Mary had nothing to be ashamed of at all. She knew who she was. She knew who God was. She knew what she was going through and what she was enduring, and she had no reason to be ashamed. And this is, this is not actually what the message about this morning. I want to get to her song But can I tell you that when we have a clean conscience with God, we've got nothing to be ashamed of. Doesn't matter what the world wants to say. Doesn't matter what enemies come against you. Doesn't matter what people think or don't think about you. When you know who you are with God and you have a clean conscience between you and God, there is absolutely nothing to ever be ashamed of. And so Mary, she she writes this song and it's recorded in Luke chapter 1. And it's really this song of worship. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about worship. What is worship? When you think about the word worship, what comes to your mind? For most of us, most of us, we tend to think about music or we tend to think about what we just did. And the reality is there's a lot of biblical merit to that. In fact, Most places in the scripture, when we have worship recorded for us, it involves some form of singing or poetry or 
praise that's public of, of some form. And in Mary's case, she literally writes a song about God. And I think that it's, it's important to understand that one of the things about music is that it can certainly be misused. It can certainly be done wrong. But music is God's creation. It's God's design. And it's actually one of the ways that we get what is in the soul out. And, it, and, and, and just worshiping God, it kind of comes out in song. It comes out in praise. It comes out in something that is, that is vocal. It comes out in, in an expression that's beyond just simple words. And as we look at Mary's song of praise this morning, there are three things that I want us to see about worship. Now you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. So we're in Matthew chapter 1. Turn over to Luke chapter 1. And in just a moment, we're going to begin reading in verse 46. So, in verse 46 is where Mary's song of praise begins. But before we even get to it, the first thing I want us to learn this morning about worship, number one, is that true worship has the power to conquer our fears. Let's consider the condition that Mary was in when she wrote what we're about to read. In fact, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 29, it tells us that she was greatly perplexed or that she was greatly concerned. Now, you'd be perplexed too. You know, the angel appears to Mary and tells Mary that she's going to conceive within her, miraculously, the miracle of God's Son. That's perplexing enough. But when you look at all that the angel told Mary, there are a lot of things the angel did not tell Mary. There were a lot of questions that were not answered for her. What are people going to think? How do I raise the Savior of the world? Is there a mother or father here amongst us that Feels like that's something you could possibly do. Raise the Savior of the world. What, what do you teach that child? Do I teach him anything? Yeah, like imagine all of these thoughts that are, she's, the Bible uses the word pondering in her heart. Imagine all of these thoughts that she's pondering, that she's thinking on, that she's meditating on. It's no wonder she was perplexed. It's no wonder that there was this sense of, what we could call being greatly troubled. And yet, even though she was greatly troubled, even though there were a lot of unanswered questions, what we end up seeing is we have this beautiful song of worship that comes out of her heart. I also want to note that where this song comes forth is in Elizabeth's house. So Elizabeth, is Mary's cousin. And Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. I don't know if you knew this or not, but John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. And Elizabeth becomes pregnant first before Mary does. Mary goes to Elizabeth's house, and there this song bursts forth. As far as we know, just the two of them. 
in the little house of Elizabeth. It teaches us something about worship. True worship and real worship, it can happen anywhere, folks. You don't have to get the big crowd together. Thank God for corporate worship, but you don't have to get the big crowd together. I think, I really, I mean this, I think we have one of the greatest worship bands that you'll find anywhere. I mean that sincerely. I think that they're fantastic. They work hard. They, they put the time in. They are sincere about what they do. But you do not have to have all of this, folks, to truly break forth in worship. Sometimes some of the greatest and, and most intimate personal times of worship there might not be anybody else. Elizabeth might not even be there. It might be just you alone in your place of prayer, maybe even in your car when, 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 when a certain song comes to your heart. But the point is this, is that real worship, real worship doesn't have to include everybody getting together in some great big event and all of the pomp and all of the prestige and all of the noise. Real worship can happen Anywhere, folks. So, this song burst forth in really one of the most troubling times of Mary's life. I think it teaches us that one of the most important places to learn how to worship is when we are facing troubles. And it is, it is often harder... To worship God when we're facing troubles. It takes, some, it takes some being intentional with my thought life. It takes some being intentional about looking away from all this wrong and all this hurting and all the pain. And looking to heaven at how good God is. And the fact that God is going to accomplish his purpose no matter what comes against us. Learning to worship through the difficult times is an important piece of learning to walk in Christian victory. Consider that from the Old Testament to the New Testament, through the Old to the New, we see that at times God literally uses worship to like set people free that are facing difficulties. You will find, if you want to go study it, in 2 Chronicles and chapter 20, that the people of God are facing an enemy that is larger than they can defeat. And the people of God led by their king Jehoshaphat. They do the right thing. They talk to God about it. They pray. They seek God. And they're like God. What do we do here? And God gives them this very special direction. That you're not actually going to have to fight at all. But here's what you are going to have to do. I want you to get all the worshipers. And I want you to send them out. And at the, at the right time, and when I, when I let you know when, I want everybody to just begin to worship. And as they worship, God says, I'll fight the battle. And you go and you read the history in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's exactly what the people did. And as they begin to worship God, God just began to annihilate their enemies, made their enemies turn on each other. It's an incredible story. And it shows us that sometimes, even when we're facing the most difficult of circumstances, Worship is the key to victory. You might remember in the New Testament, we have the record of Paul and Silas. They've both been arrested for preaching the gospel. They are in prison, quite literally in shackles. That's the way they used to do it back in those days. 
So they are literally in shackles. And the Bible tells us that at about midnight, I think it's interesting it tells us that, like it records that for us. Midnight is just kind of this traditional idea of the darkness of night, the middle of night. And in that, in the middle of darkness, in the middle of night, chained and shackled, here's what it tells us. It tells us that Paul and Silas begin to sing praises to God. And as they sang, it teaches us the prisoners were listening, the guards were listening, and eventually a shaking happened, and their chains supernaturally began to fall. God did a special work in that particular time, delivered them, and not only their chains, but the chains of everybody else as well. And so we see that there's something significant about learning to praise God even through the most difficult seasons of life. It is so important that we as Christians understand God deserves our praise. He is worthy. That's what worship really is. It's giving the worth, what is something is worth, the worth-ship. You put that word together, you come up with worship. It is giving God the praise and honor and glory that He deserves. He is worth it no matter what we're going through. In fact, sometimes, sometimes we have even more reason to praise God when we're going through difficulties than when we're on the mountaintop. And let me explain. It's through the difficulties that we are reminded that no matter what we go through, our God is bigger. It's through the difficulties that we, when we go through them that we're reminded God promised us He would never leave us. He would never forsake us. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Guess what? We're not alone. He never promised we wouldn't go through hard times, but He surely promised He would be there with us through it all. And sometimes it's those moments where we are reminded of how good God is and how close He is. The Word of God teaches us that He is near to the brokenhearted. Hey, I don't like being brokenhearted any more than the next person. But I have learned that it's during those times that often, if we'll let our hearts and our minds get focused on God, that we are reminded of how near He is, how good He is, how faithful He is. So Mary worshiped God through her trials. Despite being perplexed, she worshiped God. Now brings you to my second point. The focus of worship is the greatness of God. The focus of worship is the greatness of God. So now let's go to Mary's song. It starts in verse 46. Let's look at the first two verses. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Let me ask you a question. Does that sound like the statement of somebody that's ashamed? No. Does that sound like the statement of somebody that's hiding away in some corner because they're ashamed of who they are? No. And, and this is why my mind went to this immediately when I saw that word. And I'm like, Joseph, she's not ashamed, man. She knows who she is and she knows who her God is. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's a very interesting word. The, uh, and in fact, the English version of this word, which is magnify, is not very different from the original in the Greek. 
And what it means, it means to make something larger. Uh, it's actually what the word still means today in English. You get a magnifying glass, it takes whatever you're looking at and makes it larger. It's literally what the word means. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, obviously, right, God can't get bigger. Right? She, she, she's not claiming that somehow she literally makes God get bigger. But what she's saying is this. As I meditate on God and I think about his goodness in my soul, he is magnified. He becomes bigger. He becomes larger. Have you ever, have you ever done that? Have you ever meditated on God to the point where it's like your mind can't even hardly contain it? It's like, wow, he is so good. He has been faithful. He's unchanging. He's always here. His plan is perfect. His plan is complete. The way that he loves is perfect. His mercy, it endures forever. He is holy. He is greater than, than, than all else. His name is above all names. Have you ever taken the time to just meditate on God to the point it's like he's just magnified in your soul? This is what Mary's doing. Even in a really perplexing time of her life, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. We see that the focus of worship, it is the greatness of God. It's not about us. And I, I, I want to kind of camp on this point this morning. If there was Anything that comes out of this morning's message, it would be, if there was just one thing that I could send people home with and I knew it would stick in your soul and you would get it, it would be this truth that real worship is about the greatness of God. It's not about us. And the interesting thing is that the, de the devil is subtle in the way he deceives us, and he is sneaky. And there's this fine line between focusing on God and focusing on me. Because one of the things, I mean, Mary mentions herself, one of the things that makes God so amazing is that he would even care about people like us. Like, when I talk about the greatness of God in my life, I can specifically point to things God has done for me. And I want people to know about it. But it's very possible for the motive of our worship to really be about us. What do I get out of it? We're not praising God for who God is. We're just thankful that he gave us stuff. And, and one of the keys to really, you know, like, am I truly worshiping God or is this about me? What gets your heart excited? Do you truly get excited when you think about God and the greatness of God? When you meditate on him, is there something that happens in your soul, and your spirit, where you are stirred because of who God is? Or... 
Do you find that in order to be stirred and in order to be excited about your faith and in order to really want to come to church and in order to really want to read your Bible and in order to want to do anything for God, you've got to get something out of the deal. And that gets you excited. You will find, and I'm telling you, it's subtle and it's sneaky. But when you look at the majority of Christian music today, and I, I point to music because... It is so closely tied to worship that you can tell a lot about how we worship as people by the music we listen to or the music we produce. And so I'm choosing music because it's an easy thing to point to. And if you listen to a lot of the music today, it's not actually about God so much. It's about us. And yeah, maybe we add God to the song because it needs to be Christianized. But it's ultimately about what God does for us. What God does for me, it's all about me, 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 me. And there's very little adoration for simply who God is as God alone, holy above all else. And so the true focus of worship, it must be the greatness of God. You know, there have been uh, times in my life let me say this. True worship's hard. True worship is hard. I couldn't even imagine the number of church services I've been in. It's a lot, 22 years. Just a lot of church services. Can we be honest? It's not like somehow you just show up to every church service, flip the switch on, and become a true worshiper. It takes work to really get our mind and our hearts aligned to truly worship. And there are times it's hard. You know what's interesting? We have a two-service model here at the church. I hope one day that we can have enough space that we don't have to. I would love for all of us to be together and worship together. But you know what's interesting? In the many years that we've been doing a two-service model, there are times that we break through into real worship in one service and not the other. That's weird. But it's true. There's times, I, I can actually point to seasons when the 9 o'clock group seem to be a little more in tune than you folks. And then, this is just the truth, I think it's because you have a chance to become a little more awake by 10.30. But generally, the 10.30 seems to be a little bit more ready for worship than the 9 o'clock. We're singing basically the same songs, led by the same people, same sermon, two different results. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to the position of the heart and mind showing up ready to worship or not. And that sometimes it's difficult. But here's what I know. There have been times in my life when I entered into what I would call true worship. There's one particular time in my life, just once, 22 years of preach, uh, being in church, basically 22 years of preaching, again, literally thousands of services, one time in my life, just once has this ever happened in my life. But there was one time that I was so unrestrained, I just could not stop myself. I couldn't stop myself. I really couldn't. And I ran like a wild Pentecostal all over the place. I literally 
I was in about an 800 seat sanctuary. I ran all the way around the outside of it, shouting as loud as I could possibly shout. Whether you believe this or not, I'm telling you something. I tried not to. I felt it coming on. But we were in a church service where God was so magnified. And this is just God's honest truth. I was so overwhelmed with how good God was. I could not sit still. It's like my legs just wanted to run. It's like my lungs just wanted to shout. I'm like, and, and that's how it came out. I was like, and when it was done, I'm like, wow, I didn't know I didn't know you had that in you, Joplin. I'm not, and if you guys know me well, I'm not actually that kind of a guy. I'm not actually the shouter. I'm not really the loud and, I'm, you know, I think there's, we all have different personalities. That's just not Joplin's typical M.O. But that day, I was so in tuned to how good God is. And in my flesh, there was a tiny little part of me. It's like all these people in here are going to think you're this, going to think you're that. But in my spirit, I'm like, I don't give a rip what a billion people think about me. God deserves everything I have to give. And I kept meditating on who he was and how good he was and and all that he'd done in my life. And before I knew it, I was just gone. Just shouting, just praises to God. Now, there's only been one time that ever happened in my life, but I will tell you this. There have been multitudes of other times where I entered into what I would call true worship. And here's what I know. Every time that it's ever been real, that it's ever been deep, that it's ever been intimate, my mind was not fixed on me. It wasn't about what can I get from God. My mind was not fixed on how great this music is. My mind was not fixed on, wow, that dude can sing. My, it's like all of that somehow became nothing. And my mind and my heart were so fixed on God, it was as if I was overwhelmed with the goodness of God. And so true worship, folks, it is on the greatness of God. And quickly, I want to show you Three aspects of God's greatness that Mary focuses on. The first, she focuses on God's mercy. We see it in verses 48 through 50. Her song goes on. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She continues with this theme that I'm about to explain in the next two verses. But here's basically what Mary said. God came to the humble. Like, that's what she calls herself. She recognizes, like, I am no royalty at all. Of all the people on the planet that God chose to come to, he didn't come to some queen. He didn't come to some woman of wealth. He, he came to the humble servant. And she's like, God is so merciful. And she, this is one of the first things she focuses on is like, God is merciful. God is good to those who don't deserve it. God comes to those whom don't 
deserve it. The second thing she focuses on is his awesome power. In verse 51, she says he has shown strength from his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. She kind of continues this theme of God coming to the humble, but she focuses now on his power, right? She says he's come through the power of his arm. And then she points to the power of earthly powers, basically saying God doesn't have any care for it. He's brought down the proud. God's not The people that you would choose in this world, the proud, the rich, the wealthy, the strong, the influential, she says God just looked right past all of them. And instead, he's come to this little humble servant. That's who God is. And God is exalted in that because God does not need the strength of people. When God's looking to be influential and change the world and bring his son into the world to redeem mankind, he doesn't look for influential people. He doesn't look for people with might. He doesn't look for the proud. He doesn't look for the wealthy. He goes right past it all and picks those that none of us would have ever picked. And it elevates his strength. In other words, God is so strong and so powerful and so mighty that he does not need anything that this world has to offer. This is why the Bible says that God's strength is perfected in our weaknesses. She worships him for his awesome power. And finally, she worships God for his unwavering faithfulness. In verses 54 through 55, she says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She ends her song with those words, He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She ends her song of magnifying the Lord, not about herself, but about a promise that God had made thousands of years earlier. And what she says is God remembered his promise. When God told Abraham of the promise of the coming offspring, God has remembered what God said. And she remembered God's faithfulness. Can I tell you folks, when we are in the battle and when we are in the hard times and when we are in the time of being perplexed and we're in a crazy world, we're in a crazy world right now, guys. We have got to remember this. Our God is faithful and our God will keep his promise. And just as God sent his son and just as God's son came into this world as a fulfillment of God's promise, the word of God tells us that he will return a second time. Our king will return. And when he returns, he will not return as the lamb that will be slain. But he will return as the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered death, hell, and the grave. That is the promise that we have. We have the promise that we will get a glorified body. Our 
our worship pastor was talking about that earlier, the need for this glorified body to really worship God. We're going to get a glorified body. We're going to spend forever with Him in heaven. Those of us who are truly born again, the blood-bought, redeemed of God, we're going to a place where there will be no sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no death. I'm telling you, we have something to worship God for this morning. Finally this morning, the third thing I want us to note is that the product of worship is service. I don't want us to lose the significance of verse 56. So in verse 55, Mary's song, it ends. But the very next verse could answer the question to what do we do after we've truly worshipped God? Here's what it says in Luke 1, verse 56. And Mary remained with her, that's Elizabeth, about three months And returned to her home. Now it's obvious what Mary was staying with Elizabeth for. Elizabeth is pregnant. She's further along than Mary is. Mary stayed to simply be of service to Elizabeth. While Elizabeth was in the later stages of her pregnancy. What I want us to see this morning is that not only here. I'm going to show you another passage in a moment. God's Word teaches us that real worship should produce real service. You know, there are folks, and I've seen them throughout the years. I've seen folks on both sides of the spectrum. There are folks that are working machines in the kingdom of God. I mean, they, they serve, 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 work, 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 work. You have an event, they're there, they're serving, they're working. But I've seen folks that have, that have almost thought that somehow their service was a substitute for worship. And, and some of these folks that are, that are working machines have rarely a day in their life actually worshipped God. They, they mistake service for worship. On the other hand, I've seen folks that hardly do any serving at all. But by golly, they will show up and they will stream tears down their face with hands in the air. And they will praise God with all of us. And they love emotional worship and they love music and they love worship, 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 worship. But it never translates to any type of actual service for God. And what we see in the life of Mary is that God's design is that the two go hand in hand. It's not one or the other, but it's both. And true worship, where we are grateful to God for who God is, where we are focused on the greatness of God, it should lead us to want to serve others. Hebrews chapter 13 Verses 15 through 16. They say it this way. Through him, speaking of Jesus, then let us continually offer up, now listen to this term, a sacrifice of praise. That's the first thing that says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Now, I want to be clear about what praise is. 
praise is an external declaration of an internal gratitude. Very important you understand that. It is impossible to praise God without making any type of declaration. That's what praise is. You can adore God possibly, maybe like in your heart, but praise is an ex, it is an actual declaration. Imagine how silly it would be, foolish it would be, for the husband who said, oh, I praise my wife all the time. Oh yeah, praise her, praise her, praise her. But who never actually did. Never said a good thing about her at all. Never lifted her up to his friends or her friends or anybody else publicly. Just keep her quiet. Zip. Oh, I praise her in my heart. No, 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 no. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. No, no, no. And a lot of times we as Christians, we want to think that somehow we, we praise, we praise God. And that it's possible to somehow do that without opening our mouths and praising Him. You just have to understand that's not possible. Like, you need to understand what the word praise literally means. It is a declaration of gratitude. And so, notice, now, Hebrews 13, verses 15 through 16, we are told to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes it is a sacrifice. In Mary's case, there, there was a sacrifice. There's a consciousness where we have to say, I am not going to focus on all that is wrong and all the negativity in the world and all that's gone mad and all that's hurt. And I'm not going to focus on those things. I'm going to choose not to do that. Instead, I'm going to focus on God, the greatness of God, and I'm going to offer Him a sacrifice of praise. And then it says this, immediately following, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So here's what Hebrews tells us, offer God a sacrifice to praise, and then do good to others and share what you have, and that sacrifice is pleasing to God. You see, they go hand in hand. It's not one or the other. So this morning, I'm going to ask our worship team if you guys would get in place. I want us to close this morning with worship. I want us to close this morning with a mind and a heart focused on the greatness of God. And I want to challenge our church with two things this morning that I really want you to be thinking on over the next couple weeks as we go into Christmas. Number one, I want to challenge us to sincerely consider our worship. Are we focusing on the greatness of God? Or have we in any capacity kind of embraced the me mentality in what we would call worship? I want to challenge us this Christmas season to just focus on the greatness of God. Focus on how good God is. And then number two, I want to challenge us to answer the question, how does that translate into service? 
how can your worship translate into service? What does that look like in your home over the next couple of weeks? What does that look like in your place of work, maybe your school, uh, your friend group, family, your neighborhood? In what ways, as we really focus to worship God this Christmas season, get our hearts back on the greatness of God, in what ways can we serve the community God's put you in, God's put me in?